You know it's Pledge Month. You know we're spending a good deal of the month talking about abundance and financial freedom, giving people um, sort of tools and spiritual principles to use in their own lives so that you can become financially free, so that you have the abundance and the goodness in your lives that you so deserve. Well, today's no exception. We're going to move forward in this great book uh, called The Secret of Unlimited Prosperity by Catherine Ponder. And today's topic is called The Law of Mental Attraction. Uh, but, you know, since we've been talking about money, I thought, uh, maybe I'll find a cute joke about money. And, and actually, uh, I almost did. We'll see, we'll see what you think, actually. It's kind of cute. So a man who loved money just about more than anything else on the planet said to his wife just before he died, Now listen, when I die, I want you to take a million dollars and put it in the casket with me. Now I'm not sure what the afterlife is like. I'm not sure what comes next. But I want to make sure that I have something to start out with. So when he died, she prepared to make good on her promise. She made some arrangements at the bank and transferred, well, something to her husband's casket. And then the undertakers locked the casket down and rolled it away. So at the funeral, a friend leans over and says, Girl, I know you weren't fool enough to put all that money in there with your husband. She says, Shh, listen. A promise is a promise. I can't go back on my word. I told him that I was going to put a million dollars in the casket with him. You mean to tell me you really did? I did, said the wife. I wrote him a check. <laughs> so as you can see, <laughs> as you can see, over the years, we have kind of different opinions and ideas of money and how to use it and what it's good for. But what I do know absolutely about money, like everything else, it comes down to our ability and our ideas around it. And so when we talk about the law of mental attraction today, Catherine Ponder sums it up very nicely. She says, here's the law of attraction. What you think about constantly you um, automatically draw or attract to yourself. What you think about constantly, you automatically draw or attract to yourself. Now notice she used that word constantly. In some ways, that's maybe the more important part of this sentence than the rest of it. Because it's not just idle thoughts that we have that are so creative. It's not just, uh, I, I know someone uh, came to me not too long ago and said, you know, I had this weird thought the other day that I might... Uh, be in an auto accident. Do I need to worry about this? I know that thoughts are creative. And I said, well, dear, unless you've been thinking about it nonstop all this time, no, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, thoughts come and go just like emotions do, you know, just like the weather outside. But what Catherine Ponder is getting at and what I do absolutely believe is that the general focus of our thoughts, the, the, cots, the thoughts that we have over and over again, the feelings and the ideas and the beliefs that we hold pretty close to us, that is what we're going to see in our life. And in fact, one of the ways to look at the law of attraction is simply to look at your own life. Because it's not like you just invoke it when you want it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There, there's a good news and a bad news story. It's running all the time. So if you look around in your life and you see that things are good and there's a lot of love and you're financially secure and the people in your life are supportive and loving and uh, you're successful at work and things like that, those are the thoughts that are running around in your mind. 
And the bad news would be if you look around in your life and your relationships aren't what you'd like them to be with and you're in a crummy job and your friends treat you poorly. Um, I don't know how to say this really tactfully, but those are the thoughts that are running around in your mind. Now, this isn't about a guilt trip. I swear to gosh, this is not about a guilt trip because I've been, we've all been there. There are always places in our lives where we could ha- see some improvement, where we wish that uh, either a relationship was going better or, or where we really wish that the job just had a few more qualities in it that would make things really nice. And the, and the true good news story is you can do that. You can do that and so much more. And in fact, although Catherine Ponder's theory is really just uh, the constancy with what you have your thought, I'm going to share with you even my own idea for making your thoughts even more powerful. Because what I believe, and I'll give you like a little math formula if you want, it's like your thoughts squared plus emotions equal a really powerful demonstration in your life. So think beyond just the the thoughts, because sometimes our thoughts can be kind of little flat things. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Almost kind of like little wishful, hopeful things. And I got to tell you, those don't tend to come true that well. Those don't tend to manifest in the world as well as we would like them to. So if you filled your mind up just with, well, I really wish and I really hope that I'd get that good job. You know, I realize that the market isn't so good for a good job, but I'm really hoping, you know, you can think that way a really long stretch of time. Something may or may not happen. But what I know is if you put your emotions behind it, if you have the feelings of contentment from being in that new job, if you're picturing that new job, if you're filling the thoughts up in such a way in your mind that you can see yourself there, Do you know what I mean? That there's really some emotional investment in it and a feeling of good to come from it. That is what sets the gears of of whatever it is, the, the how that we don't know really how things work, right? We know it comes from God. We know it's that co creative power with us, with God, using our thoughts to create our world. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't know whether it's, you know, invisible force fields like on Star Trek or, or simply the, the longing and the joy of our own heart. But what I do know is it does work. And the degree to which we can create clarity and constancy in our minds and an acceptance, the acceptance part I think comes in the heart, when we can create those in our lives, there is no stopping our success in the world whether it be around love, whether it be... In fact, you know, it's really, really this same talk. I could be doing this talk regardless of whether we were discussing money this month, right? Because the law of attraction applies to your entire life. Uh, This month, we might be focusing on our finances or on our sense of business success or, or that kind of thing, but it works for love. It works for joy. It works for peace. Any, anything that you would like to see more of in your life, it is God's good pleasure to absolutely give it to you. The, the trick here is, if there's a trick at all, is just to remember the only way God knows what we want is for us to be thinking about it. That's, you, you know, rather than writing the letter to Santa, <laughs> rather than, do you know what I mean? That's how, when we talk about God being omnipresent, being with us all the time, it's with our thoughts. We talk about our individual minds as being part of God's big mind. 
And so that is where this idea of omnipresence come in. God is with us always because our small mind, you know, what we're thinking is part of the larger mind at all times. And so God absolutely is aware of what we're thinking. And that's what God uses with you to create your life. Now, I want to spend just a moment, if you will, talking a little bit about the dark side. You know how in Star Wars there was the Force, and it was generally for good, but there was also the dark side? That same formula I used, powerful thoughts plus emotion equals a powerful attracting, boy, does it work really good when our thoughts turn dark. And here's the cautionary note in this whole talk. If we have powerful emotions like fear and hatred, uh, if there's an unforgiveness in our heart, if, if you know, something's going round and round in our head and it brings up profound sadness, these are going to outpicture more greatly in our lives as well. And, and take, for example, something like hate and fear. When we're feeling really fearful, when we're feeling very angry, what is it that are the thoughts that are going around in our head, right? It's the blame, it's the shame, it's the, it's the, the thoughts of she shouldn't have done that, he shouldn't have done that, and we're tending to replay, aren't we, some of those events that made us angry or that made us shameful or that are causing the fear. Sometimes the fear is playing that awful what-if game. Well, what if she, you know, it's midnight, what if she doesn't come home? What if the car broke down? What if, what if, what if... These are the very thoughts that are apt to bring on exactly what you don't want to have happen in the world. Now, I'm not saying to be Pollyannish. I'm not saying to deny thoughts that come up. I mean, sometimes our emotions in particular are great signposts saying we need to do something. We need to step up and make a change. Don't get me wrong there. But if all we're redoing is replaying the thoughts, not acting upon them, right? Because so often our thoughts, there's nothing to do with them. They're just there. And if we're replaying negativity over and over in our head and it's not being useful in any way, what it is doing is increasing the likelihood you'll get more of the same. So how do we combat this? I'm going to use an example of an, of, of an ex-boss that I had. Uh, during my years at the, at the telephone company, I was blessed for mostly working for people who were kind and loving and the, the job was generally good. But, oh my, my farewell boss, it was like a little treat. <laughs> it was that boss that everybody else was always talking about. And, and it was kind of interesting because uh, he wasn't even presently in, in my building. He actually worked in Denver. And so for a few months, I was here about oh you're working for him oh you poor guy you know he's a jerk and he he uh, doesn't know how to manage people well and he's apt to tell you off in public and oh my you poor guy and this of course was before I'd even met him but already I was a little bit uh, do you know what I mean when you hear that someone's a certain way the first time then you meet them you're just a little bit well you know I'm going to make my mind up for myself but <laughs> and so sure enough uh, I had the opportunity to go to Denver and actually work for eight months on a project for him so I was right in the office with him and I gotta tell you everything they told me was minor to the truth <laughs> oh 
My God. I remember the first time we went for the, the, big, uh, the big crew meeting kind of thing, you know, where everybody that works for him was in, in a room uh, actually not even much smaller than this. He individually was reading people out in front of each other. And I still remember he asked, he said, uh, uh, Mr. King, <laughs> it was like I was Mr. King, right? You know, in email, I'm Larry, but suddenly in the meeting, I'm Mr. King. You know you're in trouble. It's like when your mom uses your full name. <laughs> Mr. King, tell me about this project you're working on. And so I told him a little bit, and he started telling me in public how wrong I was doing it. Oh my gosh, this was a horrid, horrid boss and a horrid relationship. And you know what? After a few weeks, I started thinking that I really wasn't doing very well at work anymore. Now, I had been someone who'd actually uh, won some awards for productivity, and usually my, um, the projects that I were on came in on budget uh, and sometimes even came in a little early, which is kind of unheard of. And, and by and large, people, you know, like, let's see if Larry can work on this project, right? And yet, even knowing that, after a few weeks, I started really doubting myself. He was telling me what a bad job I was doing. He was telling me how it was never enough. He was telling me this stream of kind of negativity about the project I was working on and even some of the people I had picked. It's like, oh my God, you picked her? What are you thinking? And I'm going, what do you mean? She, you know, she's done a great job for me. It was that kind of thing. But after a while, I started to believe it. And one day, we had another, another one of those big meetings. It was a room just about like this. And honestly, I was feeling almost sick to my stomach going to the meeting because I knew, you know, once again, probably he would find something on our project to yell us about. And sure enough, it was Mr. King, you know, and he launched in again. And suddenly, like an epiphany, I realized that this was his deal. I realized that I was a good employee. I realized, you know, that all of these years of, of being a, a good employee and the project I'd worked on, they hadn't vanished overnight, right? I hadn't changed overnight. It was his consciousness that was doing this. And so in a very quiet way, when he started to yell at me in public, I simply stood up and I said, is this the kind of conversation that we really want to have in public? And the energy of the room went from, you know, up here, way down to here. And he said, you know, you're probably right. Let's take this offline. And it was the last fight I ever had with that boss. It was the last harsh words. And what the realization was, you know, so many people had just gone to that place of believing what he said to them. So many of the people in that room over time, week in and week out, began to believe that they weren't doing a good job, that, that they weren't capable of excellence, that, that their own hearts weren't, do you know what I mean? And it, and it was like insidious for them. It may have started with a certain project not working well, but by the end of a few months, they were thinking they weren't even decent human beings. And it's not the truth. What people say in general is not the truth for you. It may be the truth for them. It may be that knowingfully or not, this ex-boss of mine wanted a lot of drama in his life. 
because it was what he was used to. Maybe he grew up in one of those families where they're waving their arms and yelling all the time. You've probably, haven't you ever been to someone's house, even at dinner, even if it's not your family, you've been to one of those houses where the normal volume tone is just up here and there's lots of arms and maybe even you know some swearing going on and you're like oh my god and yet they're used to it and it's like you don't even they don't even realize that maybe it seems a little weird well that was what he had in his life and he's welcome to it we can choose differently we can choose to have the lives we want we can choose to ignore his opinion of what life is like and go with our own. We can choose to leave behind the people and the places and the TV shows and the news reports that are telling you negativity and choose to believe something else. So here is my little bit of a formula also for being able to disperse with some of this negativity. First of all, when you notice that there are negative thoughts running around in your mind, ask yourself, do they have to apply to you? Is it true for you? It may be someone else's belief. It may even be what most people think in general. But why does it have to be you? Why do you have to participate in flu season this year? Why do you have to go with the idea that jobs are tight right now and we're all going to get fired, right? Why is that you? I know in your mind that you can have a different set of thoughts. And if you let go of the old ones that are not serving you, you will have a much better chance at holding on to the positive side of life to know that life is lovely, to know that the jobs are good and that the relationships are beautiful, to know that there is abundance of all sorts for you. The other question to ask yourself is even are they real? I think most of us take at one point or another what we believe to be true from the media. Insidious as it is, right? Don't we have beliefs around everything from deodorant to cornflakes? <laughs> and I doubt that our moms even told us about deodorant when we're two, or, you know, that cornflakes will reduce, I don't know, heart attacks or what. I mean, my mind is full of the darndest stuff <laughs> that, that has nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, but, <laughs> but my mind is full of the darndest stuff that has nothing to do with me. Is this what we've come to? That we will allow the, the, the media in terms of um, uh, really salesmanship and the media in terms of, of what passes for news these days? The, the sort of idea of it's not news unless it's a bad story. I mean, I mean a bad story in the sense of something's gone wrong. We can change that. We can simply choose to have something different in our lives, and that's where we're leaded to now. But I want to read you what Catherine Ponder says about this idea of, of, of our thoughts really kind of going wild and, and going with other people's ideas. She says, How do you clear up mental resistance which constantly rejects your good? You must begin by picturing the best for yourself and others. Stop believing yourself as weak or misunderstood. Stop dramatizing yourself and your life as a martyr. If you want it to be thought of as long-suffering, you will always have something to suffer for. 
Withdraw your thoughts and strong feelings from negation on all levels of life. Do not plan on trouble, or it will plan for you. Let it all go. Begin anew, simply begin anew, picturing the good and expecting it. Now, how do we do this? Here's a real good how question for you. You know that that how God manifests things in the world, I'm less sure about. But I do know, I do have some really good ideas on how we can instead fill our mind with good thoughts. And I want to do something maybe a little different today because in the past I would have said, well, there's prayer, there's affirmations, there's using mental pictures and mental equivalents, there's doing journals, there, and you know, here's a list of the things that you should go home and do to fill your mind up instead with the thoughts of what you want. Well, let's, that's all really true. And I hope, I hope someday everyone here takes a class or two so you get really familiar with using those specific tools because they will absolutely absolutely change your life. But I want to try something even simpler today because everyone in this room, believe it or not, is very creative. Now you may not think of yourself as artistically creative or musically creative, but you are amazingly creative in the thoughts that you have. And since we're dealing in the realm of thought, since the whole purpose here is to have thoughts of what we want to experience instead of what we're afraid of or instead of what makes us angry or things like that, let's put our creativity to work. What makes you, when you think about it, what makes you feel light? What allows you to feel more loved? What, what uh, really makes your heart sing? And simply go for that. For some people, it might be putting on the, um, you know, the radio and listening to music. Now, I have to admit, we might have to skip over Bonnie Raitt, and I'm sorry for that, right? I mean, we don't want to listen to those sad, forlorn songs. But what I know is if I want to experience more love and more joy, I'll put on some really upbeat and loving music. And boy, doesn't it change your attitude after just like half an hour? Now, I don't know that a minister has ever told you that listening to the radio is spiritual practice, but if you do it with the thought of choosing music that will lift up your heart, music that will show how alive and powerful you are, music that will will bring more loving thoughts and more powerful thoughts to your mind, you bet it's a spiritual practice. So what does it for you? I know for me, I'm a hobbyist and I like doing fused glass. And I got to tell you, when I'm working on out in the garage on some of my fused glass projects, my imagination is wild and I'm feeling fun and successful and, and happy. It's like I just put a glass cutter in my hand and I'll get this dopey smile. And what, <laughs> and, and what I know is there's something that works just that well for you. It might be taking care of kids. It might be going on a walk with your dog. It might be, I don't know what it is, but you are creative people. What spiritual practice for you, and I use that term spiritual practice. It doesn't have to be one of the so-called official ones like meditation. Or, I mean, they work too. But what perhaps really uniquely to you, maybe it's hiking in nature. I don't know. But what can help fill your mind with the joy and the love and the idea of abundance that you deserve. And whatever that thing is, do it often, do it well. Consider it part of your spiritual practice. Love it as it loves you.
And that's probably the best advice I can give you. Now, now more formal advice is, yes, you know, have a meditation practice. Uh, have a time every day where you do perhaps prayer or journaling around your life as you would like to see it. But if that seems a little flat, if that seems a little hard to start up, then do something that you know will work, whether it's listening to certain uh, radio stations or, or whether it's um, uh, you know, checking out a mini-series uh, on TV from the library, something that you know will uplift you, something that you know will allow your mind to fill up with the thoughts of good and plenty. And it doesn't really get any harder than that. Because as we, we turn that tide, as the old thoughts and ideas and beliefs of lack of limitation begin to diminish in your mind, as those become suppressed by this overwhelming thought of love and life and joy, the tide, as they say, has turned. You have entered that realm where your life begins to attract to it the good things, the sweet things, the loving things, the joyous things, the successful things. And the good news here, too, is that becomes almost one of those feedback loops that's self-reinforcing, and you begin to realize how powerful those good thoughts are at bringing good into your life, and so then you have more of them. And before you know it, you are unstoppable in your ability to feel and express and to have the love and the life, the abundance and the joy in your life that you want. Ooh, I got warmed up. <laughs> so where do we end with this? I, I really want to summarize this. I really want to end this with one very clear thought, and it's right back to the beginning of the talk. What you think about constantly, you automatically draw or attract into your life. You need to make a choice. If you don't make a choice, if your thoughts are not part of your choice this law is going to keep working anyway and so then if you have you ever felt like your life is a little bit like a ping pong game i have now and then and you know what if you don't put some choice into your thoughts you're really apt to get the ping pong game you know some days high elation other days tragedy you know oh my god look what happened here i'm at the mercy of that darn boss you know, oh, my grandchildren are here, that's so sweet. Back and forth, it wears you out. But if you bring some constancy to your thoughts, if you bring some intentions to your thoughts to begin having what you want circulating up there, then the good in your life isn't like a ping pong match at all. It also is constant and good and loving and pure. So this month I've been using this, um, this sweet affirmation that is from Living the Science of Mind. Would you join me in it? I'll read a line and then you can repeat it back. Good and more good is mine. Good and more good is mine. And ever increasing good is mine. And ever increasing good is mine. There is no limit to the good which is mine. There is no limit to the good which is mine. Everywhere I go I see this good. I feel it, I experience it. It crowds itself against me. It flows through me. It expresses itself in me. And it multiplies itself around me. Good and more good is mine. Good and more good is mine. 
Let us pray. There is this one power and one presence in the universe. It is this thing. I think of it as life itself. It is that impetus for good. It is that joyousness of spirit. It is God. And what I know about God, infinite, without end, no limits. This is the God that I understand in my heart that all the good in creation itself is bound up, created by, and distributed for God. God as it takes the form of each one of us, God uniquely as me. And what I know about me and God is that that power of my own thoughts is outpicturing every day as a life filled with love, filled with joy, full of abundance. And as it is true for me, I accept and know for each person in this room that there is a greater degree of control and intentionality over the thoughts that are going on in the heads in this room. I know without question that as the tide is turned in each heart, going from perhaps times of negativity and lack of limitation onto that positive side of life, onto those thoughts of love and joy, of peace and abundance, that this is heard so very powerfully by God. And that it is, as the Bible says, God's good pleasure to give us the keys of the kingdom, and this is how it happens. It is through our thoughts that those keys open doors. And so for each person here, I recognize and affirm that the door is open, that the riches of the universe are available, that the goodness, that the life, that the love of God itself is present for each person here. I simply, with great thanks, let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thanks.